Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. blessing to hear of what was accomplished on the trip. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series that should uh, take most of the weeks of the summer, and this series is Encounters with the Holy One and deals with a series of instances in the Old Testament in which people came face to face with God and uh, what took place during those particular encounters. And in order to introduce the message this morning, I would like to have the assistance of a brave volunteer. So uh, do we have a brave volunteer in the congregation this morning uh, that can assist me? Uh, age is uh, no uh, requirement either way, so young or old. Yes, Levi, come and join me, please. Uh, so Levi gets the award for courage this morning. And uh, thank you for joining me, Levi. Um, my assistance from you this morning consists of an answer to one simple question. And this simple question is, which of these two is your mother, Martha Washington or Dolly Madison? Definitely Martha Washington. So, so if you if you gave me a copy of your gift certificate, and uh, it would say Martha Washington on it, it would. Okay, thank you very much. You can go have a seat. <laughs> I need another volunteer. <laughs> so I'm going to call upon Mark Walters. <laughs> Thank you for volunteering, Mark. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So, so Mark, which of those two are your mother, Martha Washington or Dolly Madison? <laughs> neither. neither, neither one of those is your mother. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate it. Okay, <laughs> so what I'm uh, attempting to illustrate here is sometimes a question can be asked in a way that assumes that there are only two options when in fact neither of those two options are the correct choice. And uh, so in this particular case, uh, neither Levi or Mark has uh, Martha Washington or Dolly Madison as their mother, and uh, there is someone else who is their mother. And uh, we're actually going to see this type of question posed in the passage that we're looking at this morning and uh, see how the question gets answered. So if you would like to open in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, and in the book of Joshua, I'd like us to look at chapter 5, verse 13, to chapter 6, verse 5. 
Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to chapter 6, verse 5. And I'd like to read that passage in your hearing and either physically or in your hearts, I'd like to invite you to stand as I read God's word. And so Joshua 5, verse 13 to chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight before him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage in your word, I pray that you would guide me and let me speak the truth. And I pray that the hearts of all who hear would receive that truth, that we would receive instruction from you today. I pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So our passage begins in the first part of verse 13 when we see that Joshua meets a man. And so it said, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And so our first question is, who is this man? And the passage we're looking at gives us a number of clues. Uh, the first clue is in the first part of verse 14. Um, after Joshua asks, are you for us or our adversaries? The man says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then in the second part of 14, the man accepts Joshua's worship. It says, and Joshua fell down on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then in verse 15, the man tells Joshua to take off his sandal because he's on holy ground. It says, then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And then in chapter six, verse two, 
we see that this man is called the Lord or Yahweh. And so it says, and the Lord, and you can see you probably in your Bible have a uh, capital L and then a small cap O, small cap R, and small cap D. Uh, whenever uh, your translation has the word Lord spelled in that way, it means it's translating the word Yahweh right there. And Yahweh said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. And so who is the commander of the armies of the Lord who accepts worship, who makes ground holy by his very presence, and who is called Yahweh in the Bible? And I'm sure most of you know where I'm going with this, but bear with me as we look at a couple of cross-references to compare Scripture with Scripture. As we think about who is the commander of the army of the Lord, I would like to compare Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. And you don't necessarily have to turn there if you don't want. Revelation chapter 19, 11 to 16, I, I will read for you. Uh, the Apostle John, as he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, having a heavenly vision, says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we have a description of the commander of the armies of the Lord who accepts worship in, uh, still in Revelation 19, just in verse 10 before the passage that I read. Um, John is talking about uh, how he's acting toward the angel that's bringing him a message. He says, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Who makes ground holy. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'd like to turn back there. And in Exodus 3, Verses 1 to 6, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. 
Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then as we think of the question, uh, who then is Yahweh? Uh, still in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God, Yahweh God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. And so this man that meets Joshua with a sword drawn in his hand is God himself. And to be more specific, this man is the second person of the Trinity. He is God, the eternal son. He is the one who, when he comes in the flesh as a man, will be known as Jesus. And so with that in mind, we can then grapple with the question that Joshua asked Jesus. And by the way, Joshua is the English version of the Hebrew name Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And Jesus is the English version of a Greek name, Iesus, which is the Greek version of a Hebrew name, Yeshua, which is the more modern Hebrew version of the name Yehoshua. And so the first Joshua, named Yehoshua, um, because his parents looked forward to the salvation that Yahweh was going to provide when he would send his son, Jesus. Um, and the second Josh, Yeshua is named Yeshua uh, because he is actually Yahweh who would come to save his people. And so in Matthew 121, the angel says to Mary, or no, said to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so uh, the first uh, Yeshua is meeting the second Yeshua here face to face. And so Yehoshua, uh, Joshua is talking to Yeshua, God the Son, uh, who would become the man that we know as Jesus. And Joshua, not knowing who Jesus is, asks the question in the second part of verse 13. And he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And so when Joshua saw a man with a drawn sword standing there on what would soon be a battlefield, he came to the conclusion that this man can be one of two possible things. He can be uh, a servant of the Israelites or he can be a servant of the Canaanites. He's going to fight for one or the other is Joshua's opinion as he sees this man. 
But Jesus is coming to serve God the Father and to accomplish his purposes. And what he has in mind is much greater than what Joshua has in mind. So he's thinking one more soldier, and Jesus has a lot greater things uh, in mind. And uh, this actually is typical of the nation of Israel and unfortunately also typical of mankind in general. We are prone to think of God as a lucky charm that we can use to get us the things that we want. And um, this was illustrated in the days of the priest Eli. The Israelites had gone to battle against the Philistines and they had lost. And so they said, okay, we need some extra help. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take the Ark of the Covenant and we're gonna take that with us in battle so that God will beat up on the Philistines for us. And uh, the account's found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the account right now. I'll just give you a summary of the outcome. Israel was defeated. 30,000 Israelite soldiers were killed. And the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines because God wasn't going to be used as a lucky charm to accomplish the Israelites' purpose. Now later on, the people of Judah thought the same thing about the temple. And they thought, well, we can just sin and do whatever we want and we don't have to worry about Jerusalem being conquered because the temple is there and of course God will never allow Jerusalem to be conquered as long as the temple is standing there. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 15, the prophet Jeremiah, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, warns that unless the people repent, the same thing is going to happen to the temple in Jerusalem that happened to the tabernacle in Shiloh. Because back there in the days of Eli, when they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, the Philistines came in and destroyed the tabernacle then in Shiloh. And God says, if you don't repent, the same thing is going to happen to the temple in Jerusalem. And the people did not repent, and that is exactly what happened. And so they ended up going into Babylonian captivity, and the temple was destroyed. And so God will not be used as a lucky charm. Now sometimes when I hear the song, God Bless America, I think about this and I'm troubled. If we as a nation honor God, we will receive his greatest blessing, which is fellowship with him, regardless of our circumstances. But if we receive material blessings and do not honor God, we will receive leanness in our souls. And God warned of this in relation to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 20, which I'd like to read for you briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20 says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. 
lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and then he might test you to do you good in the end. If then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth and you shall remember Instead, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And God has surely blessed the United States with all manner of blessings. He's filled our mouths with good things. And yet we have taken the things that God has blessed us with and we've used those things to mock his holy name. And then we expect God to continue to bless us with material blessings. And actually the very greatest danger is that he will do exactly that. And if he did, then we would become like the city of Babylon that's talked about in Revelation chapter 18 verses 11 to 19. Because the city of Babylon that is talked about in the book of Revelation, receives great material blessing and descends into great evil and continues to receive that material blessing right up to the end. And so in Revelation chapter 18, beginning in verse 11, it says, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing, 
every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For one hour she is made desolate. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 tells us that who the Lord loves, he chastens. And so if our nation continues to shake our fist in the hand of the face of God, it would be better for us as a nation if he would send us hard times to chasten us, to turn our hearts back to him, than it would to continue to allow us to walk in wickedness. But I'd like to turn my attention away from the United States as a nation and think about followers of Jesus Christ as a body. As followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot expect God to be a servant who will just bless our plans. We can't take our Bibles and white out a part of John 3.16 and then write in a little part that we like better and have it say, for God so loved the Jones family that he gave them a new Winnebago. Um, We have to uh, take the greater blessings that God offers us rather than the lesser blessings that we might wish for ourselves. And so God is not for us in the sense that we can Uh, expect God to endorse our poor and self-serving and short-sighted plans that we might have. But instead, God is for us in the sense that he allows us to participate in his perfect plan and to enjoy the greatest blessing that any human being can experience. And so if we turn to the book of Romans, And we look at chapter 8, and we begin in verse 28, and read through the end of the chapter. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we think of these passage of this passage we can notice a number of things. Verse 29 tells us that God's plan for us is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. And verse 31 tells us that in this plan, God is for us. That conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ is the very greatest possible thing that he could do for us, the greatest blessing that we could possibly enjoy. Verse 35 tells us that this does not mean that we will not experience tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As we are followers of Jesus Christ, all of those things are possibilities for us. But verse 37 tells us that it is in exactly these things that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We're not more than conquerors because we won't experience those things. We're more than conquerors in those things. And verses 38 and 39 tell us that we're more than conquerors in those things. In the greatest hardships of our lives, we're more than conquerors because those things cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so our lives may contain ups and they may contain downs. We may lose comfort, we may lose wealth, we may lose health, we may lose our lives, but we who trust in Jesus Christ will never lose our relationship with him and the eternal life and blessings that come from that relationship. And those blessings are worth infinitely more than everything we can lose put together. And so Yehoshua's encounter with Yeshua in Joshua 5:13 to 6:5 reminds us that we come into God's presence. When we come into God's presence, he's not for us in the sense that we can manipulate him into serving and blessing our plans. But when we come into God's presence through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he is for us in the sense that he invites us into the greater blessing of serving him and experiencing the blessing of his plan for us. And that is a blessing that no one can take away. And as the worship team comes to lead us in a final song, let's pray together.
our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are powerful. You are good. And you are wise. And you are loving. And so you're able to act on our behalf according to your wisdom and your power and your goodness and love and do what's best for us. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.